So we are four and a half weeks into our series about grief. Now, why do I say four and a half? Well, that's because two weeks ago when we were together, we didn't make it fully through the message that I was preaching and teaching. So we're going back, we're going to part two, and this is uh, to resist the temptation to get stuck. And so I want us to review, especially, I don't know about y'all, you know, when you would go to school and you would study certain subjects, I'm not about to hand out a pop quiz, but what? The teacher would occasionally do a review. Right, especially as you were learning new material. And so I want to just kind of take a few moments and let's review what we've talked about in grief thus far. We've said that grief is inevitable. It's a journey we must all go on. And grief is not just losing a loved one, but it can be a change of status in your life. Uh, there are many people in our community that are getting ready to grieve, go through a grieving process as their children leave home to go to college. There are people in our church right now, we mentioned one of them this morning, they are grieving the process of not being able to drive anymore. Amen? There are people that can grieve other things. So grief is not just about the death of a loved one, but it is about the change of things that happen in our life. We've said that grief is personal and it involves a process. But I want to remind you too, when we say that it involves a process, it is not a step one, step two, step three, step four process and you are done. Amen. You will jump in in between. You might be in step one and then you might jump to step four. You might get stuck in step two. Doesn't mean you can't go back to step one. Amen. So it's personal. Your grief is going to look different than somebody else's. So just because you've lost a child, just because you have lost a spouse, you've lost someone significant to you, you've lost your job, you've lost some privilege that you had, just because you look across the aisle or you look on the other side of the pew and you say, oh, sister, I know what you're going through. No, you might not. You might be able to sympathize, yes, indeed, with the losing, but you don't know what they are going through. And they are going to grieve differently than you grieved. Amen? Just because you might have whizzed through it faster does not mean that there's something wrong with your friend or that they have sin in their life that they are not progressing like you did. It's personal. It's a process. And as we stated, the grieving process takes time, but it also takes trust. That as we grieve, we have to trust God and lean on others. And listen, if we allow ourselves to live in the illusions of denial, escape, or fantasy, we stray from the pathway to healing. But most importantly, grief requires us to keep walking and keep talking with Jesus. As we go through grief, as we go through a grief process, as we go through a time of grieving, we have to keep walking, to keep talking with Jesus. As I mentioned this morning, grab the bulletin in the back, not the bulletin, grab the handout in the back of the 41 promises of God. If you're going to trust God, then you need to know what he's promised you. Amen? And and a way to build some of that trust in your life is to look who God says He is and what He says He'll do in His Word. What great better way, if many of you are here this morning, you say, okay, Chris, Pastor Chris, I want to grow in my walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Then there's a next step. You don't grab that list of 41 and go home this afternoon and speed read through them all. 
No. Maybe you take one a day. Maybe you take one a week. Maybe you take one every couple of days and say, okay, God, uh, you say that um, as a believer that you're going to give me the abundant life. Well, it says look up John 10.10. Well, maybe you look up John 10.10 and you read that. And maybe you pray it back to the Lord. Maybe you say, Lord, I don't understand exactly what you're saying, but you've promised me abundant life, and so I'm going to trust in you. This morning, I want you to leave here knowing this fact, that when we resist the temptation to become stuck, we are free to continue in our grief journeys toward recovery. So the key word this morning is stuck, and that's what I want to talk about. And listen, we get stuck when we believe lies for the truth. Amen? That's how we get stuck, when we believe lies for the truth. And so if you're going to know what the enemy is going to throw at you, if you got to know, if you want to know what the world is going to throw at you, the only way that you can judge that, the only way that you know what truth and non-truth is, is to open God's word is to open the blessed love letter that he wrote to you and to me and it's to get in there and it's to say okay god what is truth what are you trying to show me what do you want me to see it's taking the list of 41 things from wilmington's book of the bibles about promises to the believer and it's about reading these things and it's about hiding them in your heart because we get stuck when we believe lies for the truth And that leads us to a statement that we heard two weeks ago when we were together. We said, oftentimes people will tell you what? God won't give you more than you can handle. And that's wrong. That is a lie of the enemy. You will not find this phrase in the Bible. We talked about what? We get stuck when we believe lies as the truth. Listen, this phrase, God won't give you more than you can handle, is a tired old phrase that sounds more like a taunt than a comfort. When you're down and out feeling discouraged, hearing those words can often make us feel like that we're not measuring up. And it causes us to ask, if I'm supposed to handle this, then why can't I handle it? Because you weren't meant to handle it on your own. You see, the biggest danger in this statement is this. That God won't give us more than we can handle. That's wrong. It can lead us to believe the lie that we can do it ourselves. That we can handle it. And that raises the most important question. If we can handle anything that comes our way, then why do we need God at all? If you and I can handle anything that comes our way, why do we need God at all? Have you ever wrestled with that question? I hope you'll see this morning, I hope you see as we preach and teach the word each and every Sunday, is that we have to be dependent on Him. We have to look to Him as our source of strength and hope. As I was reading this morning before you got here, and just kind of having a few moments of quiet time, I read as Paul reminds us as he's writing his his letter to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.1, he says, you know, I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, and He is our hope. Jesus is our hope. Our 
hope. You see, we need to realize that we can't make it on our own. And so the lie that God won't give you more than you can handle is a perversion of 1 Corinthians 10.13. 1 Corinthians 10.13. It has been twisted and it has been distorted. Listen to what Paul says to the Corinthian church. He says this. He says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way to escape that you may be able to endure it. Aren't you thankful with this warning, Paul also gives us a promise, amen? Paul says, God is faithful. He will provide a way. Sometimes it is through it, amen? But when you go through that trial, when you go through that suffering, when you go through that loss in your life, you're not going alone. You see, friends, Paul is talking about temptation, not suffering. Paul is talking about temptation, not suffering. With temptation, we have a choice. But with suffering and tragedy, we often don't have a choice in the matter. We do, however, have a choice in how we respond to what happens to us. We cannot control what comes our way, but we can control how we react to it. There's a phrase that I learned when I first went to work at Toomey Healthcare System at the time, and it was a little equation. I'll have to show it to you sometime if you want to see it, and I have some that I can print out to remind you. But it's this equation that says this, E plus R equals O. E plus R equals O. And the R is bigger. And I always love to ask people, I wish I had a, we had the projector up and I could show you, but I ask them what they think that equation means. And basically it means this, event plus reaction equals outcome. Event plus reaction equals outcome. And why was the R considerably bigger? Because you can't control the event. But you can pause, you can stop, you can reflect inwardly, upwardly, say, okay, God, this is what happened. I can't control what just happened to me, but how will I respond? Your response will what? Determine the outcome. You cannot control the event, you, but you can influence the outcome. And so the thing is, we have to learn, and that's what we learned with that, was to press pause. And it's, and it's also developing in my boss and friend, friend then boss, and boss and friend, again, we've gone back and forth, but in our different roles where she's managed me and then been my boss, etc. But she became kind of my accountability partner with that. And we would be in a meeting, and I would get kind of gruff or get kind of ticked off about what was going on. She'd say, what about your R? What about your R? Did you manage your R well? You see, friends, Jesus never promised that when we became a follower of Him that we would not have any trouble or trials. 
He didn't promise that. John 16, 33 says, I, Jesus, have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. You will have trials. You will have distress. You will have suffering. But take heart. I have overcome the world. See, you know that. Oh, Jesus says, the world, you will have tribulation. Take heart, I've overcome the world. But as I read that verse, even this morning, I was reminded that what he said in the beginning of chapter 16, he's saying, I have said these things to you that you may have peace. What did Jesus say? Well, go back and look at it. Look at what Jesus says. He's saying, I've said these things so that you may have peace. If you want to have peace, seek Jesus. You see, in moments of suffering, when we don't, understand what is happening to us or feel like that we can go on rather than stand and proclaim that we can handle it we must imitate jesus the night before jesus was executed he cried out in the garden my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death matthew twenty six thirty eight. jesus told his father this is too much for me this is too much for me Have you ever felt like what you're going through is too much? What do you do? What do you do? Is it woe is me? Woe is me. Can't believe this is happening. It's never going to get any better. Or do you turn to a bad habit? Do you turn to shopping or drinking or eating or smoking? In essence, are you looking for a way to escape? Listen, friends, in a moment of pressure and pain, we should pray. We should call out to God. We should be real and raw and tell Him what's on our hearts and minds. Jesus did. I just read that to you. Matthew 26, 28, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Hear what Jesus is saying. He's not just some figure that was perfect, but he experienced sorrow. And so as you go through your life and as you experience sorrow, know that your Savior knows what that feels like. Amen? And we can find that. We can take comfort in that because that's what his word says. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus was raw and real. David was raw and real. The psalmists were raw and real. Why can't we be raw and real with the Lord? If you don't like something that's going on, don't just tiptoe around it. Cry out to the Lord. Tell Him what's on your heart and mind. Tell Him that you don't understand. Tell Him that you don't wish that was happening. Tell Him that you wish that person would just kick the bucket or flee. I don't know. Be raw and real. Because He can take it. David balled his fist in rage and shouted to God, Why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22, verse 1. Why have you forsaken me? Jesus cried the same thing. But listen, even as I look back in Psalm 22, there's hope as David is being raw and real before the Lord, as he's pouring out his heart, and we're reading what he's saying, listen in verse 4, Psalm 22, verse 4, listen to what he says. In our fathers, sorry, in you, our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. 
Even in the midst of being raw and real with the Lord, David is crying out and saying, Lord, why have you forsaken me? Why are you letting this happen? Oh God, our fathers are in you as whom they trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. Do you hear? Do you hear what he's saying? He's he's being raw. He's being real. He's processing that. Does he even realize what he was writing? Does he even realize what he was saying? Thank God that we have it recorded. Because in that moment, we are reminded that it's who our fathers trusted. And as they trusted, he delivered them. There is deliverance with the Lord Jesus Christ. As we mentioned, Jesus cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me listen it should be clear to all thoughtful readers of scripture that jesus was not asking a philosophical question about suffering he was expressing to god his father his anguish and his feelings of abandonment the feeling that we all have when we're alone in our agony So when you look to the cross, when you look to Scripture, and you look to Jesus, and you look to what He did, look deeper. Just sit there and just think about what happened. And as we read verses like this, people say, well, Jesus knows what you're going through. Oh, what does He know? He was perfect. No! He knew, yes, He was perfect, but He knew pain. He knew agony. He knew what it was like to be despised. Friends, not everybody is going to like you. If Jesus, the son of the living God, was despised, you will be despised. If Jesus couldn't please everybody, you can't please everybody. Friends, if you hear nothing else that I say today, Jesus can sympathize with you. Jesus can sympathize with you. And when we cry out in anguish, God is not offended. Jesus can sympathize with you. And when you cry out in anguish, God is not offended. Don't come to Him with pleasantries. Don't come to Him just thinking that this is what he wants to hear. I'm guilty of that too. I'm going through a season where I want to pray differently. Amen. I want to experience God differently. I want to learn to pray bolder. I want to learn to pray shorter. I want to learn to pray differently. And one of the questions that a friend of mine told me to ask a long time ago is, how do we need God right now? How do we need God right now? How do others in our life, in our circle of influence, how do they need God right now? You heard this morning, if you know any of the people that we retouch, that we mentioned, and they, and you have a connection with them, then you know how to pray specifically. Maybe when you go to sit down at lunch today, we mentioned Ms. Dot Adams and how she's um, going through a, a slow a form of breast cancer. Then maybe as you break bread with your family and you pray, maybe you just say a simple prayer, God, be with Ms. Dot as she goes through her battle with cancer. How do we need God right now? Look around you. As, as Kendall and I celebrated our 17th wedding anniversary yesterday, we're sitting in one of the most beautiful spots that we've ever eaten dinner. And I just thank God for that place and that time to spend with my bride, 
and to enjoy what he had created there in the inlet as we you couldn't get seafood any fresher if I would have just cast the net myself amen we were sitting right there on the water enjoying God's creation good food and good fellowship and when I prayed I thank God in that moment for that place and for the person beside me It's okay to feel like that we can't handle what's happening in our lives. In those moments, we can cry out, my soul is overwhelmed. And when you do this, you find God, the one who in the person of Jesus suffers with us. Listen, when we can be honest with ourselves about the reality of our losses, and when we can be honest with God about the degree of our pain, we are preparing ourselves for healing. Then I want to ask you this morning, when we're struggling, the first thing we ask is what? Why? Why? Why me? Why my loved one? Why now? I wasn't ready for this. Why, Lord? Why? You see, when we find ourselves struggling with why, it is helpful for us to also listen for the the answers God is going to give us and the questions that God is going to ask us. When we become aware that um, life will give us more than we can handle and come to grip with this, we find a promise. God is faithful to meet us in the mess and in the pain. God is faithful to meet us in the mess and in the pain. And I want to ask you this morning, has God ever met you in your pain and agony? Has God ever met you in your pain and agony? Listen, if we, as we've preached and taught these last two weeks, we've mentioned this fact of God won't give you more than you can handle. And that's incorrect. But what Paul was talking about was temptation. And as we journey through our grief, we are tempted in various ways. Listen, sometimes we can become stuck by searching for answers instead of seeking our Savior. Because when we begin to ask why, even if we get an answer, then we do what? We ask why again. And so every time we ask why, it just leads to another question. It just leads to more doubt. And it just leads leads to more questions than we have answers. And so I want to ask you this morning, how are you tempted? As we talk about grief, as we talk about life, how are you tempted? Well, I want to tell you this morning that you're tempted to go at it alone. That's the flesh. You're tempted to take a shortcut to try to speed up the healing process. Don't do it. There are no quick fixes. There's no quick answers, right? You've got to walk through that valley with the Lord and allow Him to give you strength and to give you hope, to give you courage to keep pressing on. And friends, you are tempted to turn to other means of making it through. But I want to remind you this morning, look to Jesus. Amen? Look to Jesus. You and I must remember these truths, that we are not alone. We are not alone. That's why community matters. 
We come and we worship and you sit and some of you sleep as I preach or not off. That's okay. It's, it's, you know, it's comfortable. It's kind of quiet sometimes. You just nod off. It's okay. But I want to remind you that as we find community with other believers, as we, as we go with them, as we break bread with them, as we go through a Wednesday night where we share our testimony or we share scripture and we pray together, we learn about each other. And as we learn about each other, as we pray for one another, guess what? We can be passionate, compassionate to those that we know. So we must remember that we're not alone. We must remember that others have persevered through difficult times and that we can as well. We must remember to seek God as we process our grief. We must seek God as we process our grief. 1 Corinthians 1.7 says this. So that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. He will sustain you to the end. Are you looking to Jesus? And friends, we must remember that we're to seek friends who love God and can offer help, offer encouragement, offer prayers, and offer comfort along the way. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 tells us that God comforts us. He has comforted us in the past so that we may comfort others. That's why He's brought you through trials and storms of life. Not, well, A, one, so He can get the glory, amen, of what He's brought you through. But it's not just so that you can wear them as a badge of honor or walk around and say, woe is me, what is God going to hit me with next? No, it's to walk into situations and it's to say, hey, only God could have done this. Let me tell you what He brought me through. And sister, you're going through this, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to, I'm going to put my arm around you. I'm going to invite you to lunch. I'm going to invite you for a ride. I'm going to invite you to go to dinner with me. I'm going to invite you to study God's word with me. I'm going to invite you into my life. I'm going to be intentional about that. Why? Because you matter to God. You matter to me. God has comforted me. He has comforted you so that you may go into situations and comfort and love others. How do you keep from becoming stuck in your grief? Listen, you can be thankful for the gift of life. You can keep from becoming stuck by reading your Bible and other helpful resources to understand the grieving process. The web's, the, the web's page that we've set up for this series, Finding Good in Grief, has resources. It has the books that I've used. You can go and click on them and read about them on Amazon and order them yourself. If you don't have the means to order them right now and you need a copy of one of those books, you get with me and I'll buy you a copy of one of those books. Why? Because it's helped me and it's been a part of this process. So read your Bible and other helpful resources to understand the grieving process. You can keep from becoming stuck by journaling your innermost feelings and thoughts. Journaling is a powerful, powerful thing. You can keep from becoming stuck, and this is a big one. Listen, avoid isolation and loneliness by reaching out to others. 
Avoid isolation and loneliness by reaching out to others. And friends, can I, can you just lean in for a second? Let me tell you something else. If you reach out to a brother and sister in Christ who is, who is going through the valley of grief, if they don't accept your offer to, to go to dinner, if they don't accept your offer to do something, don't take it personal. We did that recently. We invited a couple who lost their son, and we said, hey, this summer would you like to go to a Fireflies game? Just have a night out. And they wrote back and said, thank you for that thought, but we don't know. Every day, we, don't know. we have good days and we have bad days, mostly bad days. And I said, look, I said, the offer stands. I said, thank you for sharing that. Now we know how to pray specifically. Now we know how to, to just lift you up to the Lord. Amen? So you, as, you're, as the person who's grieving, you've got to reach out to others. But as people that you know are grieving, if you reach out to them, don't, don't take it personal. Don't be offended if they don't accept your offer. But here's the thing, too. Maybe you, maybe you invite them and maybe you invite them to lunch and they say, no, not right now. Well, maybe you make a mental note or maybe you put it on your calendar and maybe you come back in a couple weeks and you revisit that and you say, hey, I'd love to go to lunch with you. I heard about this cool place. Would you like to go? They might say no again. Don't, don't like badger them every day, like daily text. Hey, you want to go to lunch? No. Okay. Tomorrow, um, hey, you want to go to lunch today? You ready to go to lunch yet? No. I mean, give them some time, but be intentional. How do you keep from becoming stuck in your grief? You find a spiritual or social support community. So that you can share your story in a safe environment with folks who have care and compassion. There's one of those that should, I'll hopefully have more information soon, but for years there's been a group that meets Alice Drive. It's open to the community, and it's, it's a grief support group, basically. And that's what they do. They meet together for people who are grieving. And guys, listen, we have people in our church that are grieving, but that doesn't mean that we have to go out and tackle that ourselves, amen? When somebody else already does it, you don't have to do what, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Those things are open for the community. And so go and be a part of something like that. Find a confidential grief partner. And then lastly, pray for renewal and personal transformation. Romans 12, 12 says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, and persevere in prayer. I want to close this morning with this thought. As we prepare for July 4th, actually it will be, it will be the 5th anniversary, actually this July 4th, there's a young lady named Haley Bordeaux. She was 21 years old, and she was killed tragically on the lake. She had enjoyed a great 4th of July, and she had been with her friends, and they were on the boat, and a tragic ap- accident happened, and she was killed. And a few weeks ago, within the last couple months, her sister Hillary, that I'm friends with, she posted this, and I, I kind of just copied it down because I knew we were going to be talking about grief. And listen to what her sister, Hillary, said. She said, grief is like an ocean. It comes in waves, ebbing and flowing. Sometimes the water is calm. Sometimes it's overwhelming. All we can do is learn to swim. We, we have to look to the Savior We have to just ask Him, Lord, calm your child or calm the waves. 
Alright, give me hope. Give me strength to get through these choppy waters. And lastly, as we process our grief, we have to remember the prayer of serenity. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. You see, friends, when we resist the temptation to become stuck, we are free to continue in our grief journeys on the road to healing. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that in and through the trials and storms of life, that you are our hope, that you are our strength, that you are our comfort, that you are our rock. And Father, I pray that these people under the sound of my voice, your children, the ones that are made in the image of you, would just start, if they haven't already, of finding a time to be raw and real with you, to pour out their heart as David did, to pour out their heart as Jesus did. To say, God, this is painful. I don't know how I'm going to go on. But God, I pray that they would continue to look to you. They would continue to look in your word. They would continue to find community with other believers to help them, to, to love them and encourage them through the grief journey. And Father, I pray that you would just help us to be more compassionate and understanding and to realize that people grieve differently. And Lord, that we can't fix anybody. But God, that you can, you are still working. Praise you. Thank you, God, that you are still working and changing hearts and lives. That your peace and presence can be felt by those that are going through the valley. And so, Father, we thank you and praise you for that. And Father, I pray as we leave this place this morning that you would help us to take some nugget of truth, some verse, some truth that we've learned. Pick up the paper about the promises that you have given to the believer. And Father, that we would just apply those, that we would allow them to saturate our hearts and minds. But God, that we wouldn't just hold on to that, but that we would pass it on, that we would share it with those who may need it most. And that we would just love others as you have loved us. That we would forgive others as you have forgiven us. God, that we would be about making much of Jesus in our daily lives and our walk. Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. For it's in your son's holy and precious name I pray. Amen.